What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 48, Jillian Johnsrud, on how the passionate quest for financial freedom led to financial independence at the age of 32. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, food for life cooking instructor, health and wellness coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. You can find more of my work, including health and wellness videos, at VeggieFit Kids on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, veggie lover. Happy Sunday. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad to be back. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Well, today's episode is a little bit different. I don't think we talk about vegetables or eating plants at all in this episode, but there's something that my husband and I are becoming more and more passionate about, and that is getting our finances in order and eventually getting to a place of financial independence. Have you ever heard of financial independence? Well, I didn't even know what that was until recently. Have you heard of financial freedom? Do you want financial freedom? Are finances or money things that stress you out? Do you have a lot of credit card debt? Well, this episode is for you because I think that it's important in order to live a joyful life, to feel like you have this part of your life under control, feeling peaceful, feeling confident, feeling stable and I want to do more podcasts on this issue, even though it's not really about plant-based nutrition, but I think it's important with our lifestyles and how we lead our lives. I heard about Jillian through another podcast that my husband listens to, and I thought that her story was just amazing. So Jillian is a writer, creator, and mentor. And it's her mission to help people custom build a lifestyle that perfectly reflects their values, passion, and purpose. She has such an interesting story. So after she got married, the 15 years after that, her and her husband paid off all their debt, traveled to 27 countries, lived abroad for four years, took five mini retirements, adopted four kids, plus had two children by birth, paid cash for their very first home, and bought two rental properties that they fixed up themselves. They've served on boards of nonprofits, mentored kids from tough situations, and volunteers in all sorts of roles. At 32, she became financially independent, and now she feels that it is her mission to help others build a life that perfectly lines up with their values, passion, and purpose. And I hope that you get a lot out of this episode. I want to do more like this. I also want to do more on minimalism and all these other things that help bring more peace and relaxation and joy into our lives, get away from that frenzied, chaotic feeling that we often have uh, in this world. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. As a reminder, if you do, do not hesitate to share it with your friends and family. If you haven't already, please give me a rating and a review on iTunes or whatever format you listen to my podcast on. 
and reach out to me if you have suggestion suggestions for future podcasts. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Jillian. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. Well, today I have with me Miss Jillian Johnsrud, who I actually listened to on another podcast while my husband and I were traveling. And actually, we recently traveled through Glacier National Park. Do you still live near there? Yes, yes. You should have stopped in and said hi. Well, we did it. The smoke was so bad that we didn't even stay what we were supposed to stay. We kept going to Yellowstone. So that's where we spent the whole time, which was great. But yeah, the smoke was awful. So hopefully it's better over there now. It is better. I think the park is still on fire, but the smoke is better. So hopefully it might be one of those seasons where it it burns until the snow flies. Oh, well, we definitely are going to go back. So when we go back, I will look you up and we can get together. But Jillian, this is going to be a little bit different because usually on this podcast, I talk about eating vegetables and plants and getting sleep. But I think something that is so, so important and so vital for people to have joy in their lives and feel content and comfortable in their lives is finances. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about it. It's one of those topics maybe for some people that might be taboo to talk to their friends. But also I think that we we think small and we play small when it comes to planning our lives and our, our financial future. It's more like, you get a job, you work for 30 years, you retire, whatever. But there's this term that I didn't even know about until recently, until my husband started getting into it. And it's financial independence. What is financial independence and why would anybody be interested in that? So financial independence, essentially the point where your passive income, your investments, your savings covers all of your expenses and you don't have to work just for money anymore. Wow. That's crazy. And you reach financial independence at a very young age. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Why were you even interested in this and how did it happen? Yeah, I had grown up um, in a situation with a lot of adverse childhood experiences. And at some point in there, I just, I really wanted, I really wanted my mom to move out of the relationship she was in and her always being the realist said, Jillian, I just, I can't like, there's no way I can support three little kids on my own. I'm sorry, but we have to stay. And I just was devastated. I was devastated that we were stuck in a situation that wasn't healthy. And I went upstairs to my room. I just like cried hot tears on my bed. And I said, money equals freedom. Money gives us choices. And I desperately wanted to have more choices. And so we We were living kind of below the poverty line. We didn't have a lot, but I just started making every good choice I could make, saving $5 here or $10 there, or getting a job at the gas station, getting a job at the pizza place, and tucking all of of that money away so that I would have more choices at some point in the future. Wow. And such a young age that you had to start thinking about this. Did you learn it from anybody else or was this stuff that you just kind of started learning on your own when you were that young? I didn't know anything about investments or real estate or stocks. Like all of that took me a long time to learn and figure out. At first, I just knew like, if I have more money, I'll have more options. And that was back in the day where I was like, if I had like a thousand dollars, I would actually have some options. If I had like $10,000, man, I really could, I could make some different choices and I would have a lot more freedom. So it was really those first early goals that, you know, and once I hit that, then I I learned a little bit more along the way. Mm -hmm. And that experience just put that fire in you. It put that motivation, that passion to have what you call freedom. But isn't that, there's so many people that end up in that situation, especially women. I know that I had a very similar experience growing up with my mom. It 
probably wasn't the best situation where we were with my stepdad. But I remember we, we went around, we looked at some properties that maybe we could rent, you know, by ourselves. I was a kid, so I didn't have a job. And I remember my mom saying the same thing. I don't think we can make this work on our own. And I, I'm sure that's the case for so many women, especially, you know, that feel like they're dependent. Okay. So you started as a kid, but then you grew up and you became an adult and you still had this motivation. What were the next steps that you took and how did you keep that on the forefront of your mind of wanting to become financially independent? For me, it wasn't even necessarily in financial independence because growing up poor, I just assumed I wouldn't earn a lot of money. Like I didn't have that. I'm going to go. I thought I, I could go out and do great things but I just thought I would never get paid a lot of money to do those great things that I was just always destined to be at best middle-class as far as earning. And so I just wanted to create more financial freedom. I felt like the more of a gap we had between our earning and our spending, the more options we were going to have. And if we could use that to pay down our debt, if we could use that to help pay cash for a house, if we could use that to pay for our vehicles in cash, um, it was just going to keep giving us more and more options. And so financial freedom for me was kind of a continuum. You know, I think there's a point where you're drowning in bills and debts and the ends don't even meet, but eventually we're filled a little bit more and maybe you have a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. And you can use that to continue to build more financial freedom by you know, paying off your mortgage or paying off your car loan um, by starting to invest. And that's really what we did, just little step by step. We paid off our debt. We started investing. And by the time I was 29, we were able to pay cash for our very first house. Wow, that's amazing. And when you got married or whenever you got together with your husband, you guys had quite a bit of debt, right? $55,000 in debt. Yeah, he had about 35 in student loans um, and 10,000 in credit card debt, which was like probably the biggest red flag in our relationship when we got together. I was like, oh, wait a minute, buddy. Um, what's going on with this? And I actually had 10,000 um, debt, 10 or 12 from medical debt from when I was in high school. Um, I had been to the hospital my senior year of high school. I didn't have insurance, but I was over the age of 18. So that was on my social security number and my responsibility to pay off. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you guys got together and then you decided we're going to tackle this. We're going to pay down this debt. And at that point, it wasn't even about being financially independent. It was just about having that space, having that freedom, feeling comfortable with your income. And what kind of jobs did you have at that point? So my husband ended up joining the army. He was a chaplain's assistant, which is kind of like an administrative assistant slash bodyguard for chaplains. Um, and I did a few different things. Like I, I worked at Starbucks for a while. I was a youth pastor for a while. I eventually kind of ended up in commission sales, which I don't know if I was awesome at, but it was okay. <laughs> And so you guys were earning, you know, you were earning some money, but it wasn't like these huge salaries. And even with that, you were able to pay off all the debt and then eventually get to the point where you are now and having traveled the world and, and all of that. How did you make that leap from let's be more comfortable, let's be more free to we're going to be financially independent? I think as we got started and as we made progress, I gained a little bit more knowledge and I gained a little bit more confidence. You know, after we paid off the debt, I was like, okay, let's keep going. Let's save that first like $10,000. And I remember walking into the bank, like back in the days when I had to go to the bank to deposit a check and I, you know, deposited my check and the teller would uh, take your little balance and circle it and pass it back to you. And she circled it and her eyes got wide and she mouthed, you have $10,000 as she pushed it back. And I was like, I know, I know, we did it. Oh my gosh. It was so exciting. And we just kept going. We committed to living on his income and saving and investing all of mine. And in the army, he was, he was enlisted like an E1, E2. He was a private. So it wasn't it wasn't a lot of income, but I said, we'll just figure it out. We'll make it work. Other people make it work. 
and we can too. It really meant constraining our lifestyle and, and not doing a lot of upgrades. But I guess I just, we had that dream and that vision for what we wanted our life to look like. And I said, shoot, you know, I grew up poor. Like this, this ain't no thing. I can do this. Um, means like no eating out. Oh, well, like I never ate out growing up. So I'm not really missing out on anything now as, as an adult. Because really how I had grown up. The hardest part of that actually was growing up. I was so ashamed of being poor. And I hated looking poor. Like there was so much embarrassment about Mm -hmm. that for me because I felt like it somehow said something about me as a human being. Mm -hmm. And so going into my 20s now, we actually had a little bit of money. But to then choose, despite having a little bit of extra money every month, to continue to do those same things that I had labeled, well, that's what poor people do. Like that's what I had to do growing up. was really hard because it it was it was an identity thing and I had to come to the conclusion either we want to hit these big goals we want to become financially independent we want to travel the world we want to adopt kids or I cannot look poor mm-hmm. but I probably can't have both mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. really came to this vision and these goals that we had that we cared so much about yeah And do you feel like that, like you were saying, the identity thing, was a lot of that based upon your perception of yourself? Or do you think that there's people actually out there that when they saw you, they're like, oh, they're poor? I think it's both. I think it's something that we really internalize. Um, But then there's, there are always a couple people who oftentimes because they have that same insecurity, Mm -hmm. will point out this insecurity at of others. Mm. Um, so later in my journey, after we paid cash for our house and we were, we had investments and we were buying rental properties and like, I was feeling better about it. I was still driving the same old Honda Civic that's now, I still own it. It's like 20 years old and it just looks like a beater with a heater. Like it is so, um, unattractive. And I was working this job in sales. And one of my coworkers was like, Jillian shouldn't be allowed to park her car in front of our business because customers were, are going to think that just a bunch of poor people work here. And I was oh. like, um, my car's not good enough to park where I work. Like I have to hide my car. Oh, and it just, it triggered all of those feelings of shame, but yeah. But sometimes when I see people overspending on areas that aren't really their values, it's tied to those feelings of shame. Um, why we buy big extravagant homes or lots of things or extravagant vacations. It's not that we don't like camping or we hate national parks. It's that we're trying to fill this hole that, that says to the world, we're fine. We're fine. We're doing good. We're successful. Um, And sometimes those material things, we kind of use them as a crutch. Yeah. Oh, that's so deep. That's that we went deep really fast, (laughs) but it's true because we do in a society have such mixed signals when it comes to money and finances and what does success really mean in the United States in this society. And I struggle with the same thing because I am a business owner and I I, I didn't feel successful with my business until I was actually making a profit, which I know isn't true because I was helping people and I was, I felt gratified. My patients felt great. I was doing a great service. And that's really why I started this business. My primary goal wasn't to make a profit, but I just felt like, oh, if people knew that, you know, I'm barely breaking even mm-hmm. they think that I'm successful. And I think that happens to us too, when it comes to our careers and showing off and, or trying to be better than the Joneses and all of those things. But that brings me to the question of whenever we try, whenever we're going for financial freedom or, you know, even going to that next step of financial independence, does our lifestyle and our, our spending habits, is that important for that? Cause obviously it is right. And how, how do you kind of negotiate what kind of lifestyle you're going to lead in order to meet these goals? 
I really encourage people. I have some, like I call them mentoring questions on my site that just help people figure out what is actually important to you. You know, what are the things you value? What do you want your lifestyle to look like? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? How do you want to be remembered? And focusing on those those really high impact things for us that ping our deepest motivations. Because when we have those things in our life, we can devote the proper time and attention, energy and resources towards those. And then just admit this other stuff doesn't actually matter that much to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so easy to say, well, this is, this is what middle-class or upper-class lifestyle looks like and just sign up for it and be like, okay, well, that's, I mean, if that's what everyone else is doing, I guess I'll, I'll just do that too, um, in order to try to fit in. But oftentimes we end up living lives that aren't really authentic to what we care about the most. So if you care about it the most, give it time and energy and money. And if you don't, if it doesn't make the short list, try to be as frugal as possible with those things because it's not really you. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of our discontentment comes is when we mix those up. We say, my health is really important to me but I don't want to spend the time to prep food. I don't want to spend the time to go to the gym. I don't want to spend extra money to buy this stuff, but we're driving maybe like, we're maybe buying really fancy clothes, but we would never say like fancy clothes are important to me. Um, but our time and our money and our energy is going there versus the stuff that we would say, actually, this is, this is like my top five. Mm-hmm. I love that. Recently I've started I'm at a phase right now where I'm reprioritizing and figuring out what my true values are and what I want in life. So I'm doing the values exercises and I got the questions off your website too. And they're just, they're just amazing to really help you think and focus on, you know, how do you want your life to be? How do you want it to feel like day to day, week to week, year to year? And I think that those are really great questions. So I encourage the listeners to look up her website and, and find those questions. What is minimalism? I think at its core, minimalism is just being mindful, again, of what you value and giving space to that, but not giving so much time and energy and space to all of the other stuff. Um, In my house, I tend to think about it as lazy or hardworking items. Um, So if it's something I use every day, man, that's a hardworking item. It's something I use once a week. That's a hardworking item. Um, you know, like in the idea of clothes, if it's something that I wear every week, yeah, that's a hardworking shirt. And I'm going to keep that. If it's something I wear once a year or only every six months, it's kind of a lazy shirt. Um, and I just don't have room in my home for things that aren't working hard. And that shirt probably needs to go find a new home where it will work much harder and be put to good use. Oh, I love that. I've never heard anybody talk about it that way, but that aligns with one of my values, which is efficiency. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. We started our journey of minimalism a few years ago and what you were talking about earlier in what we give our time to, but also what takes away our freedom sometimes is stuff, you know, like owning stuff, buying stuff, maintaining stuff. It takes away our freedom. And whenever we made that connection and we actually downsized from 2,500 square feet to 1,400 square feet, got rid of a lot of things. It just opened up so much peace, (laughs) you know, and and we're still through the journey for us and we have two kids, but it's one of those things that I'm learning more about and exploring more in my life. But I think that minimalism can apply in lots of different ways. Like you were saying, I like how you had a more general term because it's not just for the things we own but also the activities we choose to do or who we choose to spend time with and really evaluating if that's what we want to be doing. Is that what we want to pay with your energy or pay with your money? Yeah. And at this point in my life, now that we've hit financial independence, I'm really mindful of my time and my energy. Those are my scarcest resources and I want to invest them well. Um, and I don't want to invest them in searching for stuff or sorting stuff or dusting stuff or not even be able to find things. I mean, it's just not worth the, the cost to me anymore. It was, that was again, another stumbling block for me 
growing up poor because it's like you don't throw away something that's perfectly good. You mm-hmm. know, that's a perfectly good coat. Why would I get rid of a perfectly good coat? Like, what if my kid loses the sixth coat this year, which will totally happen at some point? Then I'm going to have to go out and pay like more good money for another perfectly good coat. And it it was just a process of, to some degree, having balance, but to some degree saying, I don't have to hoard everything. I don't have to hold on to everything. So I made a rule that if I can buy it for $5 at a garage sale, I can let it go. Mm. Like if it can be replaced for five bucks at a garage sale, like I'm a pretty frugal person. So maybe a normal person would say like $20, (laughs) but that was like my baseline. If I can replace this for five bucks, maybe, maybe I can let it go and we'll see. And I figured worst case scenario, because we got rid of about half of our possessions um, after we adopted three kids. I figured worst case scenario, I'll have to spend like 20 bucks and like buy four of these things back. And that seemed like a worthwhile risk to be able to breathe in our house again. Oh, I love that. Breathe. It's true because it, it, it just makes such a difference when you have less things you immediately feel it when you walk in. There's like this sense of like calm instead of like clutter and just things jumping out at you everywhere. And I love that. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co. And so that brings me to the next question. Does being minimalist or practicing a lifestyle that it's frugal or that you spend less so that you can have more, whether it's money or time or energy, does it limit the number of children you have? Because I know you have an interesting story, (laughs) how many children you have and how you acquired them. So tell me a little bit more about that. So I have um, two biological kiddos and over the years we've adopted four from foster care. Um, our oldest when he was a teenager and then three or four years ago, um, a sibling group of three that are all half siblings and it's, so they're not, they're definitely not mutually exclusive. I, I really think about frugality, not even it's just low spending, but it's just spending money on things that you value. That's what frugality is. It's like, there are things that I value that I spend a lot of money on. Um, personal development and growth and education and things that keep us healthy. Um, I really value that stuff. So I spend a lot of money on it and I don't really value what my second car looks like. So I drive a hoopty. It's the ugliest car ever. And people are probably like, I'm sure no one sees me driving down the street and goes, that's the car of a millionaire right there. Um, all of the clear coat of my paint is like popped off and it's just ridiculously look- looking, but but it's because I don't value that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's great. I love it. That's just a wonderful way to think about things and we can make those choices, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have to treat everything the same, not everything has to have the same value in our lives. Um, So that's great. So let's backtrack a little bit. And I want to talk about paying off debt because the majority of Americans have debt. I know many listeners have debt. So if we ever just start to take some steps towards, towards getting rid of it, how do you recommend people prioritize tackling their debt? I would actually start with like, what do we want our life to look like mm-hmm. and figure out what those deep motivations are because it's hard paying off debt and there's going to be a lot of hard choices and you need to have it tethered to what you really care and value. Mm -hmm. So getting clear on that and then just being kind of ruthless in your budget saying right now, our greatest priority is being Mm debt-free and all of this other stuff. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to come back. It's going to have a season in our life and we're going to enjoy it more fully once we're debt-free, especially if it's like credit card debt or car payments that you can typically knock out in a year to two years. Um, Sometimes our mortgage takes a really long time to pay off. Um, Sometimes even student loan debt can. Um, But that consumer debt, just kind of going all in right away. Um, And it's like, I think about it like when you're really overwhelmed with work and 
you decide to go on vacation, especially if you are a small business owner, like you don't really enjoy that vacation because you're mentally entirely back in your business. Um, It's better just to get caught up and then take a vacation, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially if you know, like if I just work really hard for the next like two or three weeks, I can totally get ahead of this. Do that first and then actually enjoy the rest. And I think that debt can be the same way. It's just this heavy burden that we carry around all of the time. And it kind of contaminates the stuff that we're using to try to enjoy life, like eating out or going on vacation or buying something nice. We can't fully enjoy it if we know that it's just adding to the burden of the debt that we're carrying. Yeah. It's always kind of in the back of your mind, haunting you and reminding you, do you have any strategies? I know that Dave Ramsey likes to talk about starting with the smallest one and then doing kind of that snowball effect. Do you have any tips like that for the listeners? Um, I would say do what works for you. Do what you'll do. You know, it's like, what's, what's the best exercise for a person to do the one that they'll actually do is probably the best plan. Um, you know, I would, I would probably, if you're, if you're married, I would check out a few books from the library. I would read a few posts and then I would do a little powwow with your spouse and be like, okay, what's our game plan? Mm -hmm. Like we're a team. Let's figure out what's going to work for both of us so we can get this done and Mm -hmm. take the best ideas from everybody and just Either pick one of them or craft your own plan, but make sure both people have a lot of buy-in. Yeah. I like the team approach too, because like you said before, it is going to take something that takes motivation and Mm -hmm. commitment and having a partner along the way. And you can just make this like a team, almost like a game, you know, it can become like super, super fun. Um, so that's great. And pull your kids in on that too. Like say like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. So there's going to be a couple sacrifices over the next year. Maybe we're not going to do sports. Maybe we're not going to do lessons. Maybe we're not going to like go to McDonald's drive through all the time. We're going to make a couple sacrifices, but in the end, we're going to hit this goal and then find some way to celebrate. I think oftentimes we just like, okay, we hit this goal onto the next one. Okay. We hit that goal onto the next one. Take a moment for gratitude and for joy and do something to celebrate the accomplishment as a family, whether it is a little trip or an, an outing or whatever it is. That's wonderful advice. It's really important. It's really important to take a second and appreciate what you've done in all phases of life, not just when yeah. it comes to finances. But I think it's true because sometimes we do get caught up on the next thing, the next thing, the next goal. And we don't take a breath and look around and be like, wow, we've come a long way. And that's really, really important. I want to talk about talking to your kids about that because my husband and I, we're really into personal growth and he's really into the financial stuff. I'm really into all the nutrition and lifestyle stuff. So we listen to all these things around our kids. And we've created a little monster. Just, you know, <laughs> couldn't get out of hand. So my oldest son has determined that when he's an adult and independent, he's going to live in a dirt hut. And <laughs> so, and then the other thing is, instead of cooking and preparing his own food, he's just going to invite people over for potlucks, and that's how he's going to eat. So. I told him maybe he might be taking it a bit far, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe someday he's going to live in a dirt hut and only eat through potlucks, but it can, it's really funny. And my other one, my youngest one is a little bit of the opposite. He'll do the minimalism thing, but he told me he wants to have like a minimalist house with a 10 car garage. So whatever works, you know, everybody (laughs) has different personalities. It's really horrible. So I had asked some people when I told them I was going to interview you. And one of the questions that came up is, how do you plan for emergencies and unexpected expenses? Do you have an emergency fund? And and how do you go about thinking about that? Yeah, we we tend to keep a lot of money and cash, especially at this point, we stepped away from our jobs almost three years ago. And, you know, I, I felt mostly confident. I'm like, okay, so here's our passive income. Here's our expenses. I'm pretty sure it'll work, but I kind of viewed it as an experiment. And so we kept a lot in cash just in case like 
you know, our car broke down or we needed a new roof on the house, like that wouldn't average out over the long term. Um, most people, I think if you, um, if you're just starting out, just having a little bit in cash, you know, if you, if you're kind of in the paycheck to paycheck, that first thousand dollars makes a big difference. A couple thousand dollars just to create a buffer. Um, when I help people when they're just starting to invest, you know, there's not there's not lots of cash, lots of places. Um, so oftentimes we'll use like a Roth IRA because you can pull out your contributions. If people have had that open for five years, it can be kind of a um, like a secondary, secondary emergency fund. If something big happens, they can still access that money versus mm-hmm. like your 401k. You can take a loan from it. Um, but that can sometimes add to the stress because mm-hmm. now like we have to get this fixed and we have to make more income before the loan is due. Yeah. Um, but looking at what number makes both people comfortable, you know, three to six months is, is typically advised and you can keep it in cash. You can keep it in a CD, a money market account, um, under your bed. No, no, don't do that. Um, it's probably what my older son will do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cardboard box, dig a hole in the backyard, <laughs> put in a tin can. Great. Okay. So three to six months, try to get there. And that helps give you that peace of mind that just in case a big thing comes up, that's out of your budget, you yeah. can take care of it. So that's great. All right. So I want to change gears a little bit and talk about something that seems really, really fun for me. And that is mini retirement. What is a mini retirement and who would be a good candidate for one? A mini retirement is any time that we step away from our nine to five job to do something that's really important to us. And this could be as short as a month or sometimes as long as a year. And sometimes we're like, well, a month is not that long, but I had a friend who just went to leaving the country for the very first time ever, went to Peru, like deepest, darkest Peru, like Paddington Bear, and lived in the rainforest for three weeks. And I was like, seriously, this is your first trip? And she was like, yeah, it was amazing. But that, I mean, there's so many benefits of it from just really being rested to being more creative again. Oftentimes when we're really stressed out and we're burned out on work, we're just running on adrenaline and caffeine. Like mm-hmm. that's what's sustaining us. And as soon as we step away, we feel deeply tired mm-hmm. until we get caught up on sleep mm-hmm. and just rest. And our brain doesn't function really creatively and it doesn't problem solve the same way when we're exhausted. So I even recommend it if people want to start a business or venture out and try something new, just block off a month, three months, six months, save up. I call it like a financial runway that's going to cover your expenses. Sometimes you can negotiate that off with your employer so you have a job coming back. Um, or sometimes there's there's some little things you can do in like emailing people in your network before you leave to let them know, like, I'm going to be stepping away for six months to go do this amazing thing. But if you hear of anything while I'm gone, that comes up, feel free to email it to me because I'm really excited to work again in this field after my big adventure. So there's some, some ways to kind of help ensure you get a job coming back. Wow. That sounds like so much fun. I think that's one of those things that people would never even think about. It's always one of those things that I knew that professors took, like they would take these sabbaticals, Mm -hmm. right? Like go out and learn something new or try something different and expand your mind, but it never seemed like something that was accessible or, or possible for just like a regular person. So I love that you talk about it and have that as something for people to think about that it's a possibility for them. You mentioned burnout and one of your blog posts, I love that. Um, I think it's titled it's time to quit Yeah, where you talked about reflecting upon the beginning of the year and what uh, sort of activities and what, what do you want to have in your life? And I think that's so important because we tend to accumulate things mm-hmm. and events and responsibilities and commitments but we rarely shed them. Um, And in that same post, you talk about burnout 
and what though what the symptoms of burnout are. So can you talk a little bit more about kind of the, the crosshairs of that of when we're involved in so much and we're overcommitted and we're so busy, what are those symptoms and how can we start to get rid of some of those or decide what we want to do in the future? Yeah, I see burnout a lot. Well, one, if you start to feel physically sick on Sunday, that's burnout. Like um, if you finish a vacation and you're full of dread instead of excitement, that's burnout. Um, if you if you go try to go through my mentoring questions and you're like, I have no idea. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. I just want to nap. Like, is that a viable option? Is nap and Netflix like a choice? <laughs> is there a box for that? Like that is burnout speaking. Um, you know, so it, if you've laughed, lost any passion or creativity or joy, like if it's just, I'm going to keep my head down and I got to push through, um, then that's typically burnout either in general or in that profession. Um, you just, you don't have the flow in your work that you used to have. Um, Sorry, I'm thinking of the second part of your question. Burnout. Well, oh, I guess, quit list. I think how do then how do you decide what to pursue? And I guess it probably goes back to what you were talking about before: is sit down and figure out your values and what you want in life. But I feel like most of us don't do that or haven't thought about mm-hmm. that. So is there is there a different way that you can help people think about once you you're in that stage where you're overcommitted, you're burned out, you don't even have any zest for life anymore. How do you take the next steps to redesign your life? Yeah. So our quit list, we start to look at that around Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's really, what do we want to see happen in the next year? What do we want our life to look like? What goals do we want to achieve? And then we figure out what we're going to quit. Um, in Greg McKinnon, Ooh, I don't remember how to pronounce his last name in essentialism. He has a McKinnon, great, I, think. I just read that book. There it's amazing. Yes. I love it. Yes. One of my favorite questions is if I wasn't already committed to being part of this meeting, how hard would I work to get in on this meeting? And I kind of apply that to all areas of my life. Like if my kids weren't already committed to the sport or activity, how hard would I be willing to work to make sure they had a spot? Mm -hmm. If I wasn't already committed to volunteering here, how hard would I work to make sure I had a spot in that volunteer opportunity? If I wasn't already friends with this person, how hard would I be willing to work to become their friend? Because sometimes it's hard to say no, it's hard to transition, it's hard to cut things out. And so we just foolishly hope I can just keep adding and adding and adding and adding. And I can have 30 really mediocre friends who always flake on me and and still keep adding good friends. And I can have like all these volunteer opportunities that like, I don't feel like I'm making a great contribution, but I don't want to have that difficult conversation. So I'll just keep doing it. But our time and our energy, especially, are so finite. So I view my quit list as kind of my poker chips. (laughs) What I want to see happen in the next year is this hand that I'm betting on. And how big of a bet am I willing to push into the middle of the table and say, yeah, on these new dreams, on these new goals, here's how I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give up all of these good things because typically they're good things in order to make space for great things. Oh, you said that so beautifully. I love that. It gave me chills. And I love that you call it a quit list. That's good. I'm going to have, I'm going to start making this quit list, but it's true. It made me think of that book, which I'm going to read again, because it's yes. that good that he talks about the bias of whenever you already own something, mm-hmm. the value is more than if you were to buy it again and you didn't own it. So that's why it's hard for us to give things up that we're already invested in because we have that sense of ownership. But if you look at it uh, as you don't own it yet, it's not part of what you do. How much are you willing to pay to get it? Because if you already have it, it seems like it's worth more than it probably is to you sometimes. And I think that's really important for some people. 
And I hope that everybody goes to your website and looks at, um, you know, those questions and and goes through that exercise. So I think it's really, really helpful. All right. I want to ask you about the personal habit that you are most proud of. How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Well, so I've got a sequence. Um, So I kind of take habits and action steps and following kind of the, um, oh shoot, Charles Dunnig, the power of habit. I try to sequence everything. Um, So right now I'm really excited about my morning kind of sequence. And my husband has been amazing in helping me out with this. So he gets up with the baby because our baby's insane and wakes up at like four in the morning or some crazy thing. Um, he gets up with the baby. He lets me sleep until about six 30. The man brings me a hot cup of tea because I'm obsessed with tea, um, to bed. I read in bed in the morning. I don't have a cell phone, so there's no temptation to get on the internet at this point. I come upstairs, I do my morning routine, I do some writing, yet again, before I check my email, before I get on social, and then I go work out at the gym. Um, I do 60 minutes, sometimes alone, sometimes with a trainer, and then I sit there and drink coffee for 30 minutes at the gym um, and do a little planning or I read a magazine. But it's... I talk a lot about with people I mentor how to build out a strong toolbox for self-regulation. Um, sometimes people think of regulation as like when we're going through hard times, we need a good emotional toolbox. But I tend to work with people in high growth, high transition times, and it's just as deregulating as going through difficult times. Mm-hmm. So we need a lot of tools, but we also need to upgrade our tools. So me, my morning, my my morning writing habit, reading habit and workout, putting them together with no social media, with no emails, adding to like the chaos that is in my brain, um, has been super effective. Like it made each of those things four times as effective as they would have been otherwise. If I had been like, like the worst is, and I'm the guiltiest of this, like scrolling through my emails, reading them, not responding and starring them <laughs> to do yep. later. But then I still have all of these things that in my brain, I'm like, oh, I need to get that done. I need to get that done. That person needs this. I need to take care of this while I'm trying to like self-regulate by working out at a time when I cannot get any of these people, any of these things. Yeah. Um, so it's been a especially not checking my email before I do all those things has been a difficult habit, but a really effective one. It sounds so relaxing and you're so well taken care of too. That's very nice to have somebody bring you tea in bed while they take care of the baby. That's very. And the other four, I mean, there's five kids upstairs between two (laughs) and 10. It is utter chaos. So he's like, you get like 15 minutes, drink some tea, read a book, and now you have to face the chaos. <laughs> They're <laughs> all waiting at the top of the stairs for me. Mama, mama. <laughs> oh, that's so adorable. I love it. All right. Well, Jillian, this has been great. I want to give you a little time so that you can tell people about your website and what the best way is to stay connected with you. Yeah. I mean, my website is, it's about financial freedom and really it's about intentional living and designing a lifestyle that we love. Um, A lot of people in my space write about retiring early. I try to focus on creating a life that's such a perfect fit for everything that we value that we would never retire from it. Like we would never quit it because it's that good. Um, And the best way to get a hold of me is my email newsletter. I send out like one or two emails a week, but I have a whole resource library. I'm kind of obsessed with building things. I just love making tools. So I have so many things in there. Um, But you can always hit reply and to any of my emails and it comes right to my inbox. And people are oddly enough, always surprised when I respond to my emails, but I do. I don't just read them and star them. Sometimes I, I make sure I respond as well. That's awesome. And your website is montanamoneyadventures.com, correct? Yep. Okay, great. Well, I just want to leave the listeners with, with hope and with positivity, which I feel like this whole conversation has been that, but 
that really you do have the ability to design the life that you want, no matter what stage you're at, no matter where you are, no matter how much debt you have, it's possible. Right, Jillian? Yeah. The biggest barrier. And I've, I have like all of the, all of the stumbling blocks. Like I have five kids. We didn't earn a lot of money. We started a lot of debt. Like I I don't have a college degree. I mean, if you look at like the lowest amount of opportunity, um, but the biggest stumbling block for most people aren't those things. It's just that they don't have any hope. Yeah. And if you don't have any hope, you won't take those first little steps. And it starts so small. It might be $10 here or paying off one credit card or you know, saving a hundred bucks here, canceling your cable. But all of that starts to compound and all of those good choices grow more and more financial freedom. And honestly, it just gives you more confidence that that our life isn't meant to be endured, that we can really thrive instead of just survive. And have joy, yeah. you know, and just have that joy and be able to spread it out to other people because it is a ripple effect. Yes. You know? Oh, this has been so great. I am so glad that you agreed to be a guest on Veggie Doctor Radio. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And this was awesome. Um, awesome. I love it. <laughs> Well, I hope that you have a plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocket surgeons music. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at VeggieFitKids on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or you can email me at VeggieDoctor at VeggieFitKids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.